It's so good to be in the house of the Lord this morning, and uh, man, God is just doing some really awesome things. Uh, I'm just in this like great mood this morning, like looking at the things that God is doing here in this church, here in this community, and the ministries that surround us, and it's just an honor and a privilege as always to be here with you guys this morning. Um, so we are going to jump in this morning to chapter 18 in, in the book of Matthew. And if you're thinking, wait a minute, didn't Pastor Ron preach last week in Matthew chapter 16? You would be correct. So we are jumping over chapter 17, and it's not that there's something in the chapter that scares us to talk about. We've actually been over chapter 17 almost a year ago, believe it or not, uh, around the Easter season. And I was looking back at how long we've been in the book of Matthew, and it was last Easter is when we started the book of Matthew. And we might be in it maybe through this Easter, truly. So two years, we've been in one book of God's word and we're studying the life of Jesus. And I don't know about you guys, but it's been encouraging to me to study and to read and to grow. And, and that's the goal, is that we would grow closer to Jesus as we study and understand his word. Uh, but just as, as a quick remembrance of what chapter 17 was, chapter 17 has this really awesome moment in scripture where we get something called the transfiguration of Jesus. And it's a moment where Jesus becomes radiant with glory in front of God the Father and a few of the disciples, and a voice of God speaks and lets his disciples know that Jesus is in fact his son with whom he is well pleased absolutely incredible. And it's one of five major milestones that happened in the life of Jesus, along with his baptism and his crucifixion, his resurrection, and his ascension. And then after this transfiguration, we see Jesus perform yet another miracle where he uh, heals a boy who is demon-possessed. He predicts his death. And lastly, he does this uh, teaching on the temple tax. And each of these things are very important, church. Very important. We don't uh, jump to chapter 18 lightly, but if you want to hear the teachings that we did on those, we can, you could can look through our podcasts um, and you could go back and you can listen to those and study those. But for the sake of this morning, we're going to start now in chapter 18. And Jesus, again, remember this whole book of Matthew, the gospel according to Matthew, it is this fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. It is Jesus coming and saying, my kingdom is not what you think it is. I'm not coming with a sword in my hand. I'm coming to flip it all on its head. That all the presuppositions that you think you have, all the standards that you think you have, what you think is important, it's not. What is important is this relationship that God throughout human history was doing everything he could to restore a covenant relationship with his people. And then we have Jesus. And Jesus is saying, any sin that you've been through, my blood covers that. Any wrongdoing, any transgression, nothing is going to separate you from Jesus. And he's presenting this gospel message. And we've seen people reject Jesus. We've seen people accept Jesus. And Jesus is announcing his kingdom. And we all, because of what he did, get to be here this morning as children of the one true king. And, and this morning, he's, he's speaking to his disciples, and he's flipping yet another thing completely upside down. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn them on, you can open them, or you can look at the screen. And we're going to start in Matthew chapter 18, uh, verses 1 through 9. And it reads as follows. At that, mo at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? 
He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Let's pray. Lord, we need you this morning. Lord, we submit our ways to yours. And God, as we're studying your word and we're hearing what you're sharing with your disciples, I pray that you speak to us today. Jesus, that you challenge us, that if there are things that are hindering us from drawing close to you, Lord, you would break those this morning. Jesus, that we would go deeper with you. And Father, if there's people here this morning who don't know you, I pray that you would speak through me, Lord. And God, that they would feel your presence and know that you are the King of kings, the one that every knee will bow to and every tongue will confess. You are Lord. So Jesus, meet with us this morning. Thank you for this time we get to spend together. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. Now, guys, before we jump into to breaking down what Jesus is telling his church and, and his disciples, um, the goal of everything that we're doing as we study the word in Sunday mornings, in, in house churches, and everything in between, the goal is to have a deeper relationship with Jesus. The goal is not to punch our spiritual card, and if you punch it 10 times, you get a free cup of coffee. That is not the goal. The goal is that we draw closer to the Lord. That as each of us leave this place and every gathering that we come together, we would walk away reflecting Christ. That we would grow deeper in him, that the stresses and the struggles that this world has to offer, we would stop and go, you know what, Lord, I'm going to give this to you, and I'm going to trust you with it. And as I was studying this week, I was reminded of Psalm 119, 18, which says, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. And church, the word of God is so important that as the world has everything that it thinks to offer to us and is alluring and challenging in every way, the word of God is saying, yes, but if you keep the word in our heart, that's the thing that matters. Amen. So this morning, let's, let, let's jump in, and let's jump into this passage in chapter 18, and there's a lot happening, and really there's three lessons that Jesus is teaching us in these nine simple verses, right? The, the passage opens with the disciples asking a question. They ask a simple question, who is great? Who is great? Right? And if you stop and ask that question yourself, you probably have people or things in mind that you would consider Great. I know I did when I kept looking up the word great. But this question is coming on the heels of what happened in chapter 16 and what happened in chapter 17. You see, chapter 18 starts with this three words, at that time. 
So what's happening in chapter 18 is connected to Jesus telling Peter he's going to be the rock of the church. It's connected to Jesus rebuking Peter. It's connected to the transfiguration of Jesus and these miracles that are taking place. All of these things are happening. And the disciples are trying to understand something deeply spiritual through an earthly lens. They're applying what we know to life, to the spiritual kingdom of heaven. And they ask a question, Jesus, who is the greatest? And when you think about that word, I know what comes to my mind, right? There's certain people or athletes or businessmen or women that I would consider great. And, and I started at a place that I usually don't. Um, I started by, I'm curious what the dictionary says about the word great. And it's simple. To be great means you're important or a distinguished person. Okay, so what does our culture, what does our society say about who is an important or distinguished person? They've got letters in front of their name, don't they? Or behind their name. That's how we know that they're distinguished, right? Think of, of what's happening in Jesus's time. There's caste systems going on. There's political uh, agendas that are being had. There's people wanting title and position, right? So there is a world around us that is structured in this hierarchy, and greatness is determined by titles and what you bring to the table. But then it also means that you have ability that is considerably above normal or average. When I was in fifth grade, we had art class. You guys remember cool fifth grade art class projects, right? You'd bring them home. It's like, this is the greatest piece of art you have ever seen. This needs to be in a museum somewhere. And I remember in fifth grade, they asked us, what do you want to be when you grow up? And we had to like cut out uh, construction paper and glue it to the, uh, to the sheet. And Pastor Michael wanted to be a basketball player. The problem with basketball is when you stop growing at 5'6", it just ain't going to happen. So in like 6th, 7th grade, when the Lord's like, that's enough for you, and I was 5'6", I couldn't keep up with anybody. Everybody was really quick, and there's like one dude that made it into the NBA. I think Muggsy Bogues was like 5'6", or 5'5", or something like that. He's like the only, in Spud Webb. Okay, maybe there was two. But I didn't have that kind of discipline that they had, and I just, I couldn't do it, right? I couldn't do it. So I, I know what greatness meant in my life, right? And that's what considerably, having talent that is considerably above normal or average, right? So then we look at athletes. We look at all sorts of people that have all of this talent and all of these things that they bring to the table. And as I started reading more about greatness, every single quote that I read was about pushing oneself to be greater than somebody else, right? That you don't start out great. You just have to have a mindset and take one step at a time and you'll accomplish great things. And sure, that's awesome, right? But the further I went down the rabbit hole, the more I realized that greatness in the world's eyes is a comparative scale. It's a structure that's putting one person against another person. Right? I thought about something I love and enjoy the most, which is sports. Right? I thought about, okay, when you, if you had the pick of the litter of anybody in all of Major League Baseball and you were going to build a team, how would you do it? You would start looking at batting averages and you would start looking at fielding percentages. If you're getting a pitcher, you'd want the best ERA. Right? You want people on the team that has statistically the greatest numbers on paper at that moment. That's greatness. Right? Once a year in professional sports, there's an all-star game. That's meaning these are the best people that play this sport, and we're going to put them against each other. And it's arguably the greatest game that takes place in the year because it is the most talent, the most skill is on the field. 
right? And then you start thinking and looking about, uh, you start having arguments and conversations. I was thinking about sports because the, the greatest argument to me in sports is, well, who's the greatest basketball player of all time? And this generation would say, oh, it's LeBron James. Uh, I think you're wrong, but that's okay, right? And my generation, it would say it was Michael Jordan. You know, an older generation than me, which is probably right, they'd say it's Bill Russell because he had 11 championships and then as a coach, he won like two or three more. Like that is greatness. In the world's eyes, that is greatness, and, and we apply this to businesses. We apply this to work. We apply all these things to like this competition mindset that I'm going to be better than somebody else and I don't care who I take down to get there. That's greatness. Because when you're on top, there comes respect and dignity and honor and all of these other things come with being great. So these disciples are asking this earthly question about something spiritual. And last night we got to be at a banquet and we heard Daryl Strawberry speak. It was really interesting hearing him talk because I'm a big time Mets fan and he brought a championship to Queens, which was awesome. And I was excited to meet him and I was like, man, hey, what's up? And I tried to talk about baseball with him. He don't even care about baseball. All he cares about is Jesus. And there was a little meet and greet that we got to do beforehand and I was just chatting with him and it's just so like incredible to hear just his story of, of what he came through and how Jesus radically changed his life. And, and he said, he said, Michael, I've been to the top. He's won four World Series. He's got batting titles. He's got home run titles. He's been rookie of the year. He was an eight-time all-star. Greatness, right or wrong? That is great. He's in the echelon of great athletes. And beforehand, he said to me, he goes, Michael, I've been to the top. There ain't nothing there. Isn't that interesting? A dude who has it all. And then he started referring to other athletes because he's in these circles. He knows these folks. Right? He talked about Aaron Carter who just died of a drug overdose and all this kind of stuff. He goes, all these people, they have this look that everything is together, and it's not. It's not. So the disciples are asking this question about greatness. Jesus, who's the greatest? And what does Jesus do? He just flips it on his head like he always does. And he says, hey, you want to be great? I'll answer that question. And then he brings in a kid. He brings in a child, like, what is going on, right? Like, Jesus, did you hear what we, did you hear what we just said? Like, we ask him who's great. Like, what's Joey doing in here? Like, what, why is he here? You know what I mean, right? Because, and, and in this, I, I just started thinking, like, okay, Lord, what are we doing here? Like, what do you mean be like this child, right? And I started thinking about kids. Like, what are kids known for? Like, kids usually act in ignorance, don't they? Like, they just don't know. They're just like, I'm going to do this. I don't think that's a good idea, Right? My daughter got upset last night that I did not get her a signed baseball from Daryl Strawberry. But I got my son one. And she goes, well, that's not fair. I said, Sophia, you are nine years old. So yeah. I said, and for nine years, I've tried to watch baseball with you. And you have not watched one game with me. I go, you don't even know who that is. I, you, you called him the fruit man when we were walking around because his last name is Strawberry. And she goes, okay, that's a good point. Right? So it's like... <laughs> Ignorance, like they walk in ignorance, right? It's just, it, it's, it's what it is. And I, I was thinking about my children, like my kids aren't able to generate income for my family. I wouldn't want them to do that, right? For 12, my son will be 12 in December, something big and, I, and in my family and our culture is teaching our kids how to cook. And that's been a 12 year endeavor. And they're just now starting to learn how to put a couple of things together, but they're not capable of like driving and going to the store and getting food and then bringing it home and cooking and prepping and planning and doing all that stuff. If it was up to my son, we, he'd want McDonald's every night, right? Like what kid doesn't want that every night of the week, right? And, 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 I, and 
there, there's times that stuff happens to my kids and they still want to be held by me or my wife or when they go to sleep, they want us to pray with them and read with them and they want us to pour into them. And I started connecting the dots. I'm going to try not to get emotional here, but like when Jesus is saying, hey, you got to be like these kids, he wants us to look at him as our father. What Jesus is really saying here, he's bringing this kid in. My kids are not capable of doing anything without my wife and I. They need us. And there'll be a time that they will launch, and I hope they do greater things than I've ever done. But right now, they need us. And this is what Jesus is saying. He gives this example of a kid, and he says, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven until you become a child of the king. Are you hearing me, church? Because when we become a child of the king, we have sonship or daughtership in his name, which means when we have that name, we got access to what he got, which means what? There's power, there's authority, there's forgiveness, there's healing, there's freedom, there's peace that passes understanding, there's joy unspeakable and full of glory. All of these things are tantamount, they are, they are connected to who the king of kings is. And Jesus is showing, hey, you think you know, but you don't. I'm going to flip it on its head. It's not about taking the seat that's in front of everybody. It's about sitting at the kids' table which everybody knows kids' table is the best table anyway, right? You have a lot of fun when you're sitting at the kids' table, right? But it's saying don't look at having the accolades and being in front of people. Get Daryl Strawberry to talk about baseball. It just don't happen. That was my experience from last night. He just wants to share what Jesus did in his life. It's about him who lives in us, not us, right? I've got a friend uh, that's starting to write a book on, on some stuff. And he's was felt really led to share his testimony. There was some stuff happened this week and I called him and picked his brain a little bit. His buddy that lives up in Kansas city and dudes like straight tatted from head to toe, like literally dome of his head, bottom of his feet. Like there's no, no skin, no more. It's all ink. And he shared with me that he feels the Lord telling him to share his testimony, but he doesn't want people reading it because of the way he looks. He wants them to see Christ in him. Are you hearing me church? Like that is the attitude that we as believers need to have, that we need to become like children and say, that's my pops and he's there for me. He's always there for me. And church, there's some people here who might have a hard time with their dads. You might have unresolved anger or frustration or maybe your dad just straight up and left. He went out to get groceries and never came back. I'm here to tell you, and I've said this before, your heavenly father is not your earthly father. They are different people. Man, human beings, we are flawed. We are imperfect. But the king of kings is wanting to take you home and say, be my son, be my daughter. Come sit with me. We can't expect to enter the kingdom unless we live and invite the Lord into our lives to take his blessing and his namesake and recognize that the blood he shed is capable of overcoming death and it has paid our debt, right? God's word has this great verse that says nothing can keep you from the love of Christ. Nothing, church, that's real. Because there might be some of us here today that have things in our head. Yeah, but Pastor Michael, don't you know I did this thing? Don't you know I did that thing? Don't you know I was angry? I was rude. I cheated on this thing. I fought this guy. I did these things. Yeah, join the club. Who hasn't done that stuff? The blood of Jesus, it covers all. 
And when we come to him and ask for forgiveness, we're going to find it. That's a guarantee we're going to find it. So Jesus is saying, hey, let's flip things upside down. You want to be the greatest? Be the least. Don't take the seat in front of everybody. Sit in the back and let the Lord be the Lord. But then he continues. And in verse 9, it reads again, If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter eternal life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. And church, what Jesus is talking about here, remember his audience, he's speaking to his disciples. He is speaking to his disciples, and this is what he's saying. He's saying if there's something in your life that's causing you to stumble, something that's causing you to sin, something that is creating a separation and a dissonance from God, then we need to take it out of our lives. We need to get rid of it. And what does that even look like, right? Well, there's obvious ones, right? Here's the ones that when we talk about sin, here is the hit list of the greatest sins that everybody likes to talk about. Okay, number one, well, if you struggle with alcohol or drugs, well, that's an obvious one, right? Because, yeah, geez, it's a terrible thing. It's destructive. We know the implications of those things. And what do we need to do? We can't surround ourselves. If, if, if you are an alcoholic, you cannot go to the bar and hang out with your friends. Like, why are we doing that? We know where it's going to lead. We have to get those things out of our lives. Church, you are going to be tempted by things. There is not sin in temptation. There is sin in acting on the temptation and following through in those things. So, so to think that the enemy is like, hey, Pastor Ron, you're good, man. I know you're with Jesus. I'm just going to leave you alone for a little bit. No. Every one of you that loves Jesus has a bullseye on your back. And the devil's like, I'm just going to wait because I know, I know, I know. And Daryl Strawberry said last night, he said 20 years ago when he gave his heart to Jesus, all his homeboys were like, we'll wait for you to come back. How sick is that? Like the dudes that he's partying with and hanging out with that are all miserable are just waiting for you to come back. Like those are friends. Those are the people that you want. This is what Jesus is talking about. Get rid of this stuff. Okay, drugs, alcohol, that's easy. That's easy stuff. Oh, pornography, right? Guys, that's a big one. And 15 years ago, that was directed at men. Guess what? It's directed at everybody now. The largest consumer of pornography group that's growing is women. So this is not just a dude thing anymore. You're crazy to think that it's not affecting every single person and everything that's going on. So if that's causing you to stumble, whatever you're looking at that stuff on, throw it out the window. If you're looking on it at a computer or a phone, just don't have a phone. We lived thousands of years without them. We somehow made it here today, correct or incorrect, right? There was a point we did not have the internet, and it was probably a better place in, in, in some degrees, in some regards. Am I right or am I wrong? Right? I love, I'm still, I'm in that in-between generation. My kids want phones and all sorts of things. And kids are great at asking this question. When did you have it? Like, it's some like, we got to be on equal footing. And I love that question from my kids. When did you have a car? I was 21 years old before I had a car. Next question, please. <laughs> 
When did you have a cell phone? Hey, that's a great word. I was 20 before I had a cell phone. That I had a, I had a phone on my wall and I had to memorize people's phone numbers. If you had four speed dials, you were doing really good. And you had to really think about who they were, right? Because I got to make sure I got to get moms on there. You know, if I need $50 when I'm in college, yo, mom, speed dial, quicker I get to her, the more that I, I know that check can come in the mail for $50, right? So then you start dating somebody. Oh, I moved you up to speed dial number two or speed dial number one or whatever, right? The world was like a little simpler back then. Okay, but if there's things that are in our life that are causing us to stumble, guys, we got to get rid of them. I would rather enter eternity and, and tell Jesus, I don't even know what the internet is, than enter into hell going, I was an expert at searching terrible things. Are you with me? But those are the obvious ones, guys. Jesus is also talking about those who struggle with anger, something we don't ever really talk about. What are those triggers? What are those things that are going to separate you or cause other people to stumble? What about gossip? That's a great one, isn't it? What about gossip? Look at the circles of people that you're hanging around. There was a former student that graduated that spoke last night, and he said, who you hang out with is who you're going to become. If you hang out with people that gossip, if you hang out with people that look into situations and make stuff up that doesn't even exist, you guys been around those people? where they talk to everybody else but the person. Remove yourself from them. There's no fruit. There's nothing good that happens in there. What about manipulation? If you're somebody who's just looking to get ahead, and I'm just going to manipulate everybody around me. Guys, we have to cut these things out of our lives. And what Jesus is saying here is this. If I was getting on I-44 from Springfield going east, where would I end up? St. Louis. Jesus is saying, know the roads that take you to dangerous places and avoid them. Don't turn on those roads. Don't go down those paths. I've dealt with sin in my life. I know what those triggers are. I know the path that it takes me down. And when I see the first sign of it, I'm like, uh-uh, nope. I know what that is. Get away from me, right? And we have to have that kind of belief or that, that spirit in us that says, no, I know that this is going to take me away from the Lord, Right? Ann Graham shared a couple weeks ago when we were down in North Carolina, she talked about the grieving of the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit grieves. And she didn't understand that until she lost her dad. And she grieved because she loves him. Church, when the Holy Spirit grieves, it's because we're sinning and we're creating distance from him. And what he wants is for us to come home. Are you hearing me? He has this fullness that he wants to pour out on us. And we have to let him do it. But the only way we're going to do that is if we're sitting under his authority, if we're sitting in his home. And then he gives us one last deeply challenging word, and it's about causing other people to stumble. And church, there's an obvious thing here, right? There's a lot of times when we talk about this, and it's not wrong. It's saying, look, if, if you know somebody who has a problem with alcohol, you should not drink in front of them if you don't have a problem with alcohol. Yeah, that's the obvious explanation, okay? But as I was studying this, I read something that Tim Mackey wrote, and he offered this really powerful explanation. He said the way that, that this verse is directed at those who believe in Jesus. And he said this is intended and directed at the way Christians hurt each other. It's the way Christians hurt each other and how that hurt can drive someone away from following Jesus altogether. 
I think we've got a picture of a millstone. If there, there it is. That's a millstone, guys. That's a big rock. And what Je- we can leave it up here. And Tim Mackey said this, that what Jesus is saying here it was, is it would be preferable to stick your head in that huge stone, strap it on your back, and go walk the plank into the deepest seas of Galilee. That that is more preferable than through our sin, someone else gets hurt and walks away from Jesus. Church, that's big. Because I know people who have walked that road. I know many people who have said, man, the church hurt me in a way that I can never reconcile. The church destroyed me. The church called me out on this or called me out on that. And you want to know what, guys? There's a lot of people that are just faulty people that made mistakes. And then they own those. Some of them own the mistakes, and those are great people. But then there's other people who don't, and they dig in, and they just keep saying, well, I'm right. I mean, come on, right? We can't be people who lead other believers astray. Gandhi said this. He said, I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christians because your Christians are nothing like your Christ. Church, we need to reflect Jesus as we walk. We need to reflect a father's heart in saying, hey, you're distant from the Lord. I love you anyway. We need to reflect healthy boundaries in our lives and let people know I love you, but I'm not going to sit here and allow you to do that to me or the people around me. That's love. Are you hearing me, guys? When we harbor attitudes of bitterness and anger towards each other, those are seeds that start to grow. And when those roots grow, they start wrapping around everything it can get its roots on. Yesterday afternoon, we have a little garden in our backyard, and my wife told, asked me, hey, can you go pull the tomato plants out of the ground so we can plant them again next year? I said, sure. And then I went outside and forgot it was nine degrees outside. I was in shorts and a t-shirt and I came back in. She goes, what are you doing? I thought you're doing that. I go, no, I'm not ready for this yet. I got to go get, I got to get equipped <laughs> to pull these seeds out. And there's a message there of being ready to pull that stuff out. But when I pulled the, the tomato plants out of the ground, they had grown through the pot that it was in, in the ground, right? So it grew, it blew out. It blew past the boundaries that were supposed to keep it in. And when I pulled it out, it's all this dirt around it started ripping up. And I went, holy mackerel, there is like, these roots are deep. And when we allow sin to grow in our life or separate other, separate other people from Jesus, man, guys, those roots, they start growing deep and they are dangerous. And they take a lot of work to heal and a lot of work to mend. I know at least 10 people right now that will not even step foot in a church because of how they were responded to, how they were treated, quote unquote, in church. But they're forgetting when Jesus said, don't, forget, don't forsake the fellowship. Church, we cannot live in a way that we cause other people, other believers, because of how we act or respond to things, to walk away from Jesus. I watched a good friend of mine, Steve. He's got, this, he's got a great sleeve of tattoos. It's absolutely beautiful. I watched a pastor shake his hand, roll his arm back and forth, and start quoting Leviticus, and then looked at him and said, don't worry, there's forgiveness. Like, what? What are we doing and if that was said to like a lot of other people that I know, that would make that would harden their heart to the church forever. Now, thank God that man is as a pastor up in Montana now. Okay, but still, are you guys hearing what I'm saying? We have to watch what we're saying. 
In an age when everything we believe is the only thing that matters, we could start having blinders on when it comes to how we grow and how we interact with one another. That we at times only care about our own opinions or our own feelings. In church, this is a question that I was asking myself even this week. Ask yourself, when was the last time you were wrong? Right? We live in a world that everybody's right all the time. Right? Let me tell you why my political candidate is better than yours. Right? And I'm right, and I'm unwilling to be changed on those things. When was the last time we were wrong? That's like a regular thing that I try to recognize. And there's times I don't know I'm wrong. It takes other people to say, hey, I don't think you realize what you did there. Hey, I can receive that. I want to receive that. Right? Thank God there's people that I have in my life that are willing to say, hey, are you aware X, Y, Z? When's the last time you apologized for something? Guys, an apology goes so far, especially if we know that we've hurt somebody or we dug in on something that just doesn't make sense, right? Sometimes if, if we're not doing this, if we're not apologizing or, or growing or recognizing we've done something wrong, we could be blissfully unaware of how we're hurting other people and then leave a wake of destruction behind us. And when we do this, Jesus is saying, hey, you're responsible for that. We cannot be the reason, we cannot be the reason why a believer walks away from the faith. Are you hearing me, church? There is a broken and hurt world out there. They live in this community, they walk through the parking lots, and they are in this building, you and me both. And we need to create an environment in this church. Guys, I watch the team pray. I watch Daniel prepare. I watch Quinlan prepare the marketing stuff. I see Pastor Tyler and Sarah prepare the, the children's ministry stuff. I watch Pastor Ron prepare. I watch Jessica pray and connect people. I know how I pray. Every person that works at this church takes what we do seriously because we want to see the kingdom of heaven grow. Are you hearing me? We want to see you deepen your walk with the Lord and be challenged in ways that God births vision in your heart and you go, I want to walk that way. I want to do whatever God has for me. We cannot be the reason a believer walks away from the faith. So in this time that we have this morning, if the worship team can start making their way up, Jesus is challenging us this morning with three things. And I know, guys, I know there's a lot that's happening here in these nine short verses. But he's challenging us. With number one, he wants us to know if you want to be great, then be like a child. It's not about the praise and the accolades. It's about sitting in sonship with the king or daughtership with the king of kings. You want to be great, be like the kid. And two, he's encouraging and sharing with his disciples that we cannot be the reason why someone walks away from the faith. And lastly, a challenging word for each of us which is simply remove the things in your life that is creating separation from the king of kings. You are what you spend time with. If you spend time with knuckleheads, you're going to become a knucklehead. If you spend time with the king of kings, you're going to be part of that family, and you're going to grow in him, guys. Guys, there's not a thing that I can do that's worth anything. Everything that Jesus does is incredible. And I am so grateful and humbled to be a part of it. And I want that for every one of you. So as we close this morning, let's, let's look at these questions and let's take this moment seriously. Right? Number one, are you seeking greatness in all the wrong places? 
Is the only thing that you're concerned about titles, promotions, raises, salaries, all sorts of things? Is that what you're looking for? God will give it to you. God gave it to Daryl. And he said it was worthless. There was nothing there when he reached the top. I've never, I've never heard anybody on their deathbed say, I really wish I made more money in my life. Number two, are you a child of the king? If you don't know Jesus, we're here, we're ready to share who he is with you. We'd love to walk you through what that looks like. There is no better decision you'll ever make in your life than giving your life over to the king of kings. And lastly, what things you need to cut out of your life. What is separating you from a deeper walk with the Lord? What is stopping you from jumping in? At youth services, there's always those times when I was a kid, they'd say, leave something at the altar. Leave the thing that you need to give up. And there'd be like packs of cigarettes and all sorts of stuff, whatever, right? But church, we're adults now. What do we need to leave at the cross? What do we need to leave there and say, Lord, I don't want this in my life anymore, right? Because sin is like a fishing hook, dude. And it's, it's got to come out. And it's going to hurt, and it's going to be painful, and it's going to be messy, but the king of kings is going to be right there saying, but I'm going to walk you through it. Jesus, we love you. And Jesus, we need you this morning. Lord, teach us, grow more intimately with us on what it's like to be your son or your daughter. Walk with us, Jesus. Grow us deeper in you. And Lord, if there are things that we need to apologize for, God, bring them to light so that we would find healing and restoration in those things. Lord, if there's conviction this morning, Holy Spirit, from you with things that we need to remove from our lives, Holy Spirit, give us the courage to get up and get prayer and give these things to you. And Lord, as the worship team brings their voices to praise you, I pray that it would be a fragrant and beautiful offering as we recognize who you are, you are the king. You are it, Lord. So meet with us today and walk with us this week. We ask this in your precious son's name. Church, if you need prayer, there's people in the back that have name tags on. Myself, Pastor Ron are also back there. Please, this is a time, this is a moment. Let us yoke up with you. Let us pray with you. And let's find healing in the King of Kings.